0: If you're listening to this, then you likely already know that being an independent musician can be a lonely road. And maybe your friends and your family just don't fully understand why you do what you do or why you invest so much time, energy and, and money towards achieving your music goals. And especially early on, it can be hard to find people who really understand what you're trying to accomplish and how to make it happen. Uh, so that's where Modern Musician comes in. My name is Michael Walker, and you know I can understand and relate to that feeling I've been there myself, and so has our team of independent artists. And the truth is that basically everything good in my life has been the result of music. It's The reason I met my wife, It's why I have my three kids, it's how I met my best friends. And now with Modern Musician, we've seen so many talented artists who started out with a dream, with a passion, but without really a fan base or without a business. And be able to take that and turn it into a sustainable full-time career and be able to impact hundreds of thousands, even millions of fans with their music. And we've had thousands of messages from artists who've told us that we've helped change their lives forever. And it just gets even more exciting, and fulfilling when you're surrounded by a community of other people who get it and who share their success and their knowledge with each other openly. And so if you are feeling called to make your music a full-time career and to be able to reach more people with your music, then I want to invite you to join our community so that we can support your growth and help lift you up as you pursue your musical dreams. You'll be able to interact in a community with other high-level artists, coaches, and industry professionals, as well as be able to participate in our daily live podcasts, meet these amazing guests, and get access to completely free training. If you'd like to join our family of artists who truly care about your success, then click on the link in the show notes and sign up now.
1: Look, you know, any artist wants to to make it big, I get it. And, you know, the thing is that you don't go from the coffee house to the stadiums in overnight, you know, and certainly like overnight might be 10 years for an artist's journey and or it might take a little while, right? So what I always tell artists is the organic way is always the way, right? You want to build followers, not streams. <laughs>
0: We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, I'm excited to be here today with my new friend, Jorge Brea. So Jorge is the founder and CEO of a company called Symphonic, which is a digital music services company. And he started his career as a DJ producer at 16 years old. Since then, he's helped transform the music industry. He's worked with some notable artists you might have heard of, like Dead Mouse and many others. He's been actually officially recognized as the Billboard magazine Indie Power Player. And today, uh, we're going to talk through digital music distribution and royalties. You know, at the time of recording this, there's been some updates and things that uh, Spotify's making recently. So, Uh, yeah, really looking forward to connecting, and thanks for taking the time to be here today.
1: Absolutely. No, excited to meet with you and, you know, for your audience as well, listening and the ones that will listen to this later as well. I think uh, there's a fun, it's a fun time right now in the industry. So really happy to be here to talk about it.
0: Absolutely. So kick things off. Maybe you could share a little bit about how you got started and really discovered this digital distribution platform.
1: Sure, absolutely. So I was, as you mentioned, a pretty active DJ and producer you know, way back, like what feels like a century ago now, when I was around 16. And I really always wanted to have my own record label and you know, be able to release my own music and obviously release music from others. But I didn't have the means to press vinyl and CD, particularly vinyl, which I'm a huge fan of. This is not my entire collection. This is just a, a little bit here, what I have in my, my studio here. But I wanted to release music and press it, but it was just so expensive. And I started to see that there was this trend toward digital, you know, iTunes had launched after Napster and there was a site particularly that I was interested in called Beatport, which was mainly an electronic music store for DJs. I put my music up on there and lo and behold, people started liking it and buying it. And, you know, I started to make income from that to the point where the light bulb, you know, came off in my head and I thought, okay, digital is definitely going to be the way of doing this now going forth. So I worked with a lot of different labels that had pressed my music previously on vinyl and CD. And I effectively helped some of them adapt to digital. And these were like, you know, independent labels here from Florida, nothing that was like no household names or anything like that, but, but folks that, you know, had helped me and I wanted to effectively repay the favor and get them on the digital world, because it was certainly doing really well for me. And out of that is how Symphonic really came to be. And I was, With a distributor before, but the experience just wasn't really great. First, there wasn't a lot of infrastructure back then. I mean, we were even still, when we first started, sending hard drives to like Apple and others just to actually ingest music, for example. But even before I started Symphonic, there just wasn't a lot of education, a lot of guidance of the distributors that were out there. And, you know, I wanted to sort of create a a music distribution company that was for artists by artists. So the business has certainly, you know, been around for a while. We launched it in six. We bootstrapped the company for many years and we launched a bunch of different services, not only just digital distribution, but you know, game-changing technology that helps artists to not only distribute and manage catalog, also transfer their catalog to us if they want to from another distributor, as well as real-time analytics. You know, we have splits so you can actually send a portion of your royalties to somebody else if you want to, free of charge, and a bunch of different things that really help to, you know, effectively help any artist kind of create run and grow in their music career i would say. So it's been it's been an interesting journey thus far, that's for sure.
0: Awesome. Yeah, super cool. It definitely seems like probably the core defining movement of the last, you know, 20 30 years as it relates to music has been the ability to distribute it online and not necessarily have to go through the physical you know, channels and, you know, for, for anyone who's listening to this right now, who maybe just needs like a quick crash course on exactly what it means, like when when you say music distribution, could you share like in a sentence or two, like kind of the core problem that you're solving with you know the music distribution platform and exactly what that means?
1: Yeah, I'll try to keep it brief. Actually, I don't know if it's one or two sentences, but essentially, if you want your music on Spotify, they won't take it directly from you. They won't accept a CD, so you need to go through an approved. Distributor like ourselves, in order to get your music from your studio all the way into the platform for everyone to consume. That's the core piece that we do because, again, the DSPs, as we like to call them digital service providers, they don't work directly with artists. So they not only take in music differently, every single one of them, but then they report and pay out royalties different, different schedules, different formats. So we aim to make that super easy where you as a creator can just make the song, upload it
0: and, you know, focus on the promotion aspect of it as well. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for that. That was a great summary. And I I think another good question would be, you know, with the music distribution service that you guys offer and the additional services that are complementary to it, what do you see as sort of like the defining benefits or what makes you unique compared to maybe some of the other platforms like, I don't know, DistroKid or CD Baby or TuneCore?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we get that question a lot. You know, I would say, first, we have pretty unique plans, right? So as an artist, you kind of can choose to work with us at whatever stage you are in. So we have one plan that is called Starter, that is effectively a competitor to a DistroKater TuneCore. It's $19.99 a year, 100% of royalties, all you can eat, and actually a lot of what our upsells at different distributors, we actually give. So you can do your splits for free. You don't even have to get your artists to be on subscriptions in order to receive payment. And you can also, you know, select where you want to be distributed. You can choose your release date. You can have a custom label name, all those different things effectively for free without upsells, whereas other competitors might, you know, charge for that. So that's one of our intro plans, I would say. So if you're just starting out, that's a great one. But then you you can move up with us, so to speak, and get any percentage-based plan. And that enables you to pitch music to us, as well as a couple of other features that are a little bit limited on the beginner plan. Like with this one, you can have multiple primary artists, for example, whereas on the starter plan, which is what we have, you are limited in that. But the aim of this is you're starting your career, so to speak, with us, and then you're able to grow into being able to talk marketing and give us stories that we can then take to the DSP, such as Spotify and so forth. And it's not easy or guaranteed by any means, but it's that ability that a distro kid or TuneCore, for example, don't have, right? And, and with all respect to them, because you know we're good fans with all of them and they do a great job. Um, beyond that, um, I say we have some analytics tools that uh, the, the competitors don't have. So we actually can give, give you analytics on who's using your material on YouTube, for example, where you can actually see the videos that are being created using your songs. You can also see how many creations are being done on TikTok from your songs. In addition to the usual suspects and things that you might see on your own as an independent artist, you can see how many streams you're getting on a day-to-day basis on Spotify, Apple, TikTok, Pandora, YouTube, and a number of other you know, players as well. Track playlist pitching and so forth. And then the big one is we do royalty splits, which has now become something that most of our competitors are doing as well. But we have an addition additional tool to that, which is effectively recoupments. And it's sort of like we consider that a another free add-on to our splits tool where you as a user can actually have like four contributors, let's say that you are wanting to pay, but if Mm -hmm. two of them need to earn a certain revenue threshold before the splits go out, you actually have that capability with our technology, all included from the moment you get an account. And that's available across all plans as well, because we want to give that control and sort of the ability to grow from day one and to be able to do it sophisticated wise, you know?
0: Hmm. super cool. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a, a few big things, but you know, one that you just mentioned was surround the ability to collaborate and have multiple contributors. And yeah. that's a feature that a lot of these other services, you know, they don't provide out of the gate for free. They require people, everyone to have a subscription to that service. Whereas mm-hmm. with what you offer, that's actually something that's built in that you can, right. you can provide out of the gate. Super cool. I, I did you do a little bit of research before coming on here and like looked at the comparison page too so it's definitely worth checking out for everyone you can kind of see a clear cut like a comparison of some of the different services and yeah it's it's great so with that I would love to talk a little bit about some of these updates that at the time of recording this Spotify has announced and sort of rolling out and how that relates to independent musicians and the way that the royalties are going to be paid out moving forward.
1: Yeah, for sure. So this is definitely, obviously, big news. Pretty relevant news as the, p- the past few weeks ago, us too were just pretty much in the in the past few weeks we've been really getting acquainted with all the changes. And there's really three primary ones. And I would say before I discuss what I think it really means to the indie artist, I think it's important to understand like what these changes are and why really. So mm-hmm. the first change is really that an artist has to earn a thousand uh, plays per you know for their song in a trailing 12 month period. And also from 50 unique listeners, right? Um, that's one change. The second change is what they're calling functional music or non-music, let's just say audio, such as white rain or just, or white noise and, and rain sounds, for example, A is going to be valued at 20% uh, versus the original royalty rate. Um, and, and B, you're gonna have to have a two minute uh, plus sort of audio file in order to generate a royalty for that. Then I'll explain why all these things a minute. And the third change is one that I'm not entirely happy with, but I also see the logic with, which is penalizing suppliers for artificial streaming. And it'll be at a $10 per track or per penalty uh, rate. So going back to the first one with a thousand streams, there's a lot of artists that are like, oh, this is going to take a lot of, you know, royalties and so forth away. But Spotify's main aim is really to stop preventing the folks that are gaming Spotify really with this. For example, if there's tons of music right now that you can search online, uh, let's say music for dogs or uh, relaxing music for kids, whatever it might be in that regard. And a lot of the suppliers that do this, they're not doing anything wrong by distributing music this way, but they are effectively flooding the market and putting out a ton of music and re-releasing the same audio over and over and over. And with the amount of volume going in and the amount of interest in these genres and styles because it's lifestyle and you know, there's moms and, and folks that are wanting to put their pet to go to sleep, for example, and go out to dinner or something. All of that is effectively taking a bit of market share from the royalty pool. And just as a quick refresher, the way Spotify makes money is it's a royalty pool, right? And in that royalty pool is every premium subscription and then there is every single ad based revenue, and however else they collect monies to to create this one pool. And, you know, the pool will increase over time when the price increases kick in. So that means that the pool will expand. But the way that it really works is Spotify keeps a certain piece off the top, no matter what, and then what is left over is divvied up amongst major record labels, indie distributors like us, artists, et cetera, based on the amount of streams that they might have. So Spotify's main aim would change number one is to try to not have all of this sort of kind of like gaming of the system really take from that royalty pool so that an artist that maybe is generating a 1,001 streams, the per play stream rate actually becomes better than what it is now. So while a lot of people and indie artists are concerned that this is actually taking money away, it's not taking money away and giving it to the majors. It's not going to go to that. It's going to go to the overall pool. So your streams actually will be worth more over time. There's going to be wider arguments in the next years ahead about AI also kind of creating this problem with a, a mm. the amount of volume going in. Um, but this is a step in the direction to sort of put controls and barriers on an industry like us. So That's the first one. I'll pause on that one if you have any questions on that. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah it's, it's super interesting. I mean, after we go through the big three changes, I'd love to just hear your perspective on you know, Spotify overall and like the business model. I know that they've you know, never been profitable. And so it'd be interesting just to kind of explore that as it moves forward. And you touched on like AI as well and how that's about to you know, explode. The, yeah, like there's I already know. so much <laughs> new content coming out. I, I um, love
1: all these topics. This is where I'm hearing <laughs> all this stuff.
0: Um, um Bart though. Uh, I mean, that, that's super, super valuable and, and helpful to understand the perspective too. Cause I mean, I, I know that's kind of the first thought for a lot of people is that, oh man, like, you know, they're not paying out any of the ones that are under a thousand streams and like they're, you know, that's going to be so bad for like all of like the smaller indies. And it sounds like what you're saying is that, well, it actually shouldn't affect legitimate, you know, artists nearly as much. It's really meant to design. It's meant to filter out fake accounts and people who are gamifying yeah. the system. Who and there's um, there's many yeah. that
1: might not agree with that. And I mean, but the reality of it is, they're really it's two percent of the overall market. Let's say of Spotify that they're not monetizing to make the other ninety eight percent much healthier, much wealthier, so to speak. And that means even an Indian artist as well. So I think when there's a lot of change or things that are different, there's always a lot of fear and concern. I can tell you that, you know, when Discovery Mode first was launched, there was a lot of concern over it. For those that don't know, Discovery Mode is the promotional program that Spotify has to encourage algorithmic discovery of your music if you're enrolled. But that means that you're getting an actual, like, less than what you would normally. But what we've seen is that it actually has in fact helped discoverability. and has helped certain artists grow and make revenue, even if you're giving a little bit more to Spotify. And you know, there's a lot of arguments over if it's pay to play or whatever that is, but that's worked. And there was a lot of angst about that in the beginning. I'm not 100% sure what this will do to the entire market, but I think it might be positive at least in the beginning. And then there's gonna have to be further controls and standards. Which I do support that a DSP should put the the pressure a little bit on distributors to up their standards. And this is one of the things that we've been doing. We've been focusing a lot on KYC, knowing your customer, trust and safety. Like we've literally launched identity verification. So if you want to sign up through the web for us, like starter or partner, you know we are going to ask for your identification because we believe that that's important not only to secure your account but also to make sure that we stop these bad actors from further diluting and taking from the royalty pool. So Mm. that's our method of doing our part because the less that we have bad actors coming through to us, then the less penalty fees we'll eventually have over time, for example. Mm. So that's, that's the big one there. Just briefly on the other two, the, with the the functional non-music one, I think that's the same goal. It's just that like Spotify doesn't believe that it's fair. And I agree with this, that rain, just rain hitting a roof should be worth the same as somebody that's a creator of music. And certainly the reason for the two minute minimum is because generally uh, people to gain the system might create a release with the hundred songs that are 31 seconds because 31 seconds is what currently unlocks the royalty. So putting controls on that genre, I think are helpful. I would say that this isn't an issue for Apple. And the reason it isn't because Apple puts really strong valuable standards on controlling suppliers. So I think that while this is the current change over time, Spotify should just say, well, we don't want certain types of content or this content from even hitting our platform under this artist name, for example. And that I think is another future thing that I see Spotify doing in terms of controlling for that change, for example.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So it sounds like what you're saying is that you know, with the second change, basically what they're pointing this at is you know, background tracks they are mostly like you know, sound effects are an example of them, but things that people aren't really engaging with. And it reminds me of a meme. I've definitely seen this floating around Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. But they showed like a graphic of a 30-second rainfall versus like stairway to heaven <laughs> And it was like these two tracks pay out the same royalty, yeah. and exactly. it's made it really clear that it, that there was there there was an issue with it because yeah you clearly gained the system.
1: Yeah, that's definitely an issue, and that's the one thing that artists like that are thinking that the thousand change, for example, is bad. Like that's actually a beneficial one, probably more so than even the first one and or the latter, because that's going to bring a substantial amount over time back into the royalty pool, and once again. The per play rate should see increases over the course of the next year, I would say. Hmm. Cool. So how
0: about number three?
1: So number three, you know, it's it's one that I'm not entirely a fan of because it's kind of like putting distributors a bit as the real responsible party. Whereas I believe that the DSPs have more data and more control over this, in my view. We are part of the Music Fights Fraud Alliance with, with our competitors like TuneCore, DistroKid, et cetera, as well as our DSP partners like Spotify and so forth. So to be in the same room to try to solve a problem, but now we have to effectively be penalized for it. I'm not happy with it because it's certainly the 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 goal of it is to mean business, so to speak, in a mindset of Spotify's like done messing around with this. But they could very well also have penalized in other ways, like just taking songs down that have egregious behavior, and they do. But they, I can tell you that they leave quite a bit up, in my opinion and more could be taken down that would also actually have such a powerful impact so i think over time maybe that changes but it'll be remain to be seen i think what everybody's concerned about which is rightfully so and what i am concerned about is cannibalism or sabotaging competitors purposely like someone might use a bot to purposely infiltrate playlists of others to take them down and penalize them um and then it's the lack of transparency in this at times. You know, when these things happen, there isn't a lot of detail that we have to go by, for example, to give to these suppliers. And I would say that's DSP-wide. So I think if the transparency piece can be resolved, I think everybody will feel comfortable. And I think we'll be able to learn more about how to stop this behavior from even leaving a distributor, for example. So, mm.
0: Got it. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. So, so it sounds like you know, that third change that they're making is basically pretty severely penalizing distributors and basically saying like you're responsible for verifying, is this legitimate or not? And how yeah. do they define the, the, like what qualifies something as legitimate or not?
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of unknown I would say on this because Spotify purposely wouldn't disclose it to prevent bad actors from creating rules around this. I would say some pretty obvious ones though, you know, if you are one account and you're streaming a song a thousand times in a short amount of time, they're going to know, and that's you know that's going to mean non payment right? I think there may be other things that are probably gray areas. Unfortunately, the, one of the most common things that I do hear is an indie artist hiring a marketing agency, and then that marketing agency using bots and sort of like you know kind of creating the same problem. So unfortunately, an artist might get screwed over this way because they they have the right intention, but then this happens. I would say that sure. for any artist on the calls. You know, Submithub to me is one of my my favorite, you know, brands. We have one called Streaming Promotions, but it's a bit uh, more boutique. And I would say a little bit of a higher price margin, mostly because we are doing a lot of reach out personally to a lot of curators and so forth. But trusted third-party playlist firms like Submithub, I think, for example, is a really good one to use because it actually, they do the vetting on who the folks are, even though it is challenging to get placement because I know firsthand with cats like. Uh, it does, it is something that works. And ultimately this is, you know, one of the reasons I'm not a fan of it is the major record labels are loving this one and this is all to benefit them. They, I, I, my, my conspiracy and my thought on it is a major record label would be totally fine by not having much independent music on a DSP. But what they don't know and what they're starting to realize every year is that the independents are gaining more and more power and they want to also kind of operate like us. I mean, even almost like 50% of the Grammy nominations this year are independent artists. So, like, that's showing the power that the independent community has and why the majors, what they can only do is make it harder for companies that obviously know that they can control the independence at the end of the day. So, huh. that's my viewpoint. Wow. It is what it is. I'll tell that to any major record label space that are as well, too. Exactly. I have no problem with that
0: it's probably a good time to mention that everyone in the audience right now is a major record label um, well, owner. i'm glad you guys are listening guys. they're fuming they're fuming yes. in the chat i can't wait i can't wait to talk to
1: you all after this <laughs> <laughs>
0: that that's no that's that's super interesting and, and so to, to be clear it sounds like the part that they're cracking down on is like artificial streams so like yeah. they're looking at like bot streams or people that are artificially boosting you know plays mm-hmm. and and who exactly are they looking to like penalize for that? Like so, how do they so it actually starts
1: with the supplier. So like let's say an artist does this on district, tune core, symphonic, for example. They won't go after the artist. They're gonna say, well, Symphonic or District of Tune core provided me the song. Therefore the penalty goes to you and it's on you to then take the next steps to investigate and, and you know, if anything, pass that on down to the client. <laughs> And so forth, but the bigger problem is, and and this is where it's like I already know this is going to be a thing on day one. Fraud happens really quickly, right? So when someone registers on all of these platforms, they upload music really fast, they bought it really fast, then they move on to the next one, and/or they create multiple accounts in order to then manipulate the system, you know. And then what happens is. If you take down the account before you actually have any royalties coming in, then a, every distributor effectively is left with a little bit of, you know, holding the bag, so to speak. So this is where I think the distributors rightfully have a, an opinion to be a bit upset about it. When we're trying to do the good thing as well, we're not encouraging this behavior. It's just difficult behavior, and it's difficult even for the DSPs to solve. So over time, that'll be controlled, and this is one of the main reasons why also. You know, we put identity verification because we're going to know everyone that, that has every account with us, regardless of what's entered in in there. And for any artist that's listening that does bad stuff, and/or that knows friends that does bad stuff, trust me, I'm going to know about it, and you won't get paid because I will forbid it when you're doing bad things for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Your audience is probably
1: awesome though, so sorry.
0: <laughs> they are. I, I, I don't think that anyone in our audience is. I mean, I mean, we talk a lot about just how it's not really a worthwhile investment to like invest in artificial boosting because totally. it you know, yeah. might f- make you feel good. Just like on the surface of like, Oh, like, like your numbers look bigger, but you're not actually providing any value to those people. And it's just, yeah, it's like a straw house, you know, it's like it'll like bl- blow over. There's no substance to it. And so therefore it's, yeah, I know, mean, yeah it's I'll not give, a long-term solution.
1: I would say that like, look, you know, any artist wants to, to make it big, I get it. And you know, the thing is that you don't go from the coffee house to the stadiums in overnight, you know, and certainly like overnight might be 10 years for an artist's journey and or it might take a little while, right? So what I always tell artists is the organic way is always the way, right? You want to build followers, not streams. And what I'm doing personally as an artist, I'm by far not a big artist or anything like that, but I'm making music now and I've been working a lot with the clients that we distribute, like remixing them. And I'm playing the the mindset of, well, they have a certain amount of Spotify monthly listeners, but also a certain amount of followers. So every song that I do with those primary artists, if I collaborate and do a song organically and they release it, then those followers might start to progressively over time come to me and I'm not spending a dime for it. I'm just spending hard-earned time and creativity by doing it. And then they are effectively helping to promote me. So I always say that that's a very natural cost-effective way if you have the ability to making music fast or collaborating with that with most. And also I would recommend that as an artist, if you are singer songwriter or you're focused on a genre, expand into different genres because nowadays everybody likes everything. And I don't think that, you know, an artist needs to just be conformed into one style. And it is, it's like as terrible as this might sound, uh, Spotify is almost like a social media platform where when You're an artist, you're putting out content, and that's your profile. Now, I'm not saying you need to put out content every day or every week even. I do think that art matters. But what you put out you know, should also matter in terms of the reach that it can have. Because if you just put it out and you're just going to Spotify for artists, I can tell you from experience, that's not bad, but it doesn't necessarily lead to results. You want to kind of put your name associated with others, and then you start to see organic growth consistently over time.
0: Mm. Super smart. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, what you're ra- recommending is one of the traffic strategies is to you know, collaborate and remix and feature oh. other artists. And it's a great way to kind of come together. You know, It's like a tale as old as time with touring artists, right? Like opening for other artists on tour. And that's one of the best ways to really to, to build an audience man, if only there was just like a place where a bunch of really talented musicians were coming together in a community and they could like talk to each other and they could network and, you know, collaborate together and write songs together. Man, that would be, that would really be something.
1: Yes, I like, (laughs) I like like your plug right there, man. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, for everybody listening here, start making music together because, you know, your numbers will only help each other. And hey, you know, you're creating you know, assets. Every time, it's like one song is an asset. You're. That's kind of like a brick. Each song is a brick to a giant skyscraper. Hopefully, if you're able to do that. So, totally
0: recommend. percent. Yeah, you know, and it's something that it seems like the electronic world has really jumped on this opportunity. It's been fantastic. So one of the reasons that it's you know been able to grow as a movement so well because there's all these people who are re- remixing each other's songs and they're featuring each other and they're collaborating. So I would love to, yeah. For everyone that's here right now, we have like 72 people in the live audience. You guys are awesome, and I just I know how many talented musicians there are. There's such like you know amazing talented musicians who all own you know the full rights to your music. And so I think that together we can really support each other and collaborate and do things creatively with each other, like like you're mentioning in, in different industries, and really you know, create some some cool music babies to, together. Wow. Definitely.
1: Uh, No, I mean, listen, I come from the electronic music world. That's the music I produce. And, you know, I do always get a sense that electronic music is a bit in the sort of forefront in terms of kind of like knowing um, how technologies affect the music. Right. So I think other genres and folks that specialize in other genres are certainly catching on because just the world has gotten more digital for sure. But I'm all about the, the electronic stuff. That's for
0: sure. 100%. Speaking of which, it's probably a good segue towards some of the the conversation that we we opened up the, the loop for earlier around AI and music production, AI and music just in general. Obviously, right now, some of these changes that Spotify's making maybe are in part to help them get ahead of the curve as it relates just the sheer amount of content that's about to get generated through AI. But I'd be curious to hear your perspective on what's kind of around the corner as it relates to AI and music production. And then maybe specifically for you know people who are independent musicians who are here right now who are sort of looking ahead and you know, maybe it's a little bit scary even just like thinking yeah. there's going to be so much change happening right now. How should they kind of view this upcoming change and how can they best align with it so that they can actually mm-hmm. use it as a positive tool?
1: Yeah, so I believe that you know, these changes don't necessarily control the the AI dynamic, right? I do think that a fourth change would be, you know, that they have some method of identifying music as AI made and kind of attribute a certain percentage. And then that maybe deems the actual value that it would get. I think that's very difficult, but it's possible. Um, And I think that everybody would be okay with something like that because I'm not necessarily against AI. but it would be the same argument as rain sounds. Whereas, well, why should a hundred percent generated song equal the same royalty as you know Led Zeppelin or Queen or anything like that? So that will be a you know an argument that will probably happen over the next year or two. I would say I think that AI is definitely a productivity tool in the business. We're starting to incorporate it not as a replacement for employees, but rather how to make them better and be able to provide a better service. Um, and I think for artists, I've experimented with AI in terms of helping me to, you know, generate new baselines and concepts because sometimes I have a tough time making a song from, from the beginning, like I just have a writer's block of sorts. So I might use it and then be able to create a stem, you know, type format of, of it or, or generate stems from it using another AI tool and then use that to sort of like build a song, for example. So I think that most artists that still like the human element are going to do that. I do believe, though, that AI is going to create a lot of creators that have no experience making music and or even, I would say, interest in making music. And, you know, I definitely am now one to, to think negatively. I'm always trying to find the bright, positive side and everything. Um, but this is going to be highly concerning, I would say, because a flood of content will create a problem on the royalty pool that I mentioned earlier. If right now there's 120,000 songs, in a year from now, it might be 200,000. And those songs will have to uh, generate a certain amount of streams first to get revenue. And the bigger concern long-term is on these Spotify changes is, well, does it go from 1,000 streams to 5,000 streams? So does it go to 10,000 streams? And I hope that there is more dialogue at that point over how to prevent it because there are actual practical ways of sort of like preventing more dilution of the pool, let's say, uh, because of AI. So I would say, it can be a a scary thing to think about. And I think that the DSPs in particular for all this like functional non-music content, for example, like meditation or relaxing music, piano music, whatever it is, that I think that they will go the route of creating content using AI. And I think many record labels are going to start to get into the mindset of, well, why do we want to find artists? We can just literally program the right song for the radio and we have the resources to market it and we own it from the get-go, we don't have to pay anybody for it other than an employee that maybe sits in a computer. That might be the future, but what's to say that an indie artist doesn't do that either? So I think it's it's an argument that's still gonna continue. I think that the bigger problem is, or the bigger outstanding questions are, can you use these platforms to create content and distribute it? And many platforms do not allow you that, right? But there are a few that do in terms of using generative music platforms. And I think it's disclosing, these platforms are going to have to disclose how those models were trained and or in what sources they were trained, because the whole argument is, I make music and it's copywritten. Why would I want to just let my music influence somebody else without any attribution towards it? And that's the type of stuff I'm interested in, and we're working on with a company called SOMS, S-O-M-S, AI, which is to create a model for every artist to be able to Effectively generate music using their own likeness and attribute any influence of a song being created to that original artist. Incredibly difficult, crazy technology, but that I think is responsible AI. And you know we'll have to wait and see if it actually really works. Well. <laughs> wow,
0: that is awesome! I'm really looking forward to hear, hearing more about that yeah it definitely i mean some of the things that have come out with like ai drake and some of these like ai artists and the way that the likeness being used is obviously it's early on so someone might point out and be like okay like you can tell that it's not drake or you can tell that it's not but it's like pretty good it's pretty good and it's so early on i think controls
1: around that will come way before Mm. anyone doing an ai song that has no no original likeness of somebody I mean, Mm -hmm. YouTube and Google is just now really getting into that game and they're kind of enabling this, but they're not just going to like let anybody take Drake's likeness and put it on Spotify for their own benefit. It's Mm -hmm. very much contained in that ecosystem. And I think that's a thing. And then I also think the last thing will be that companies like OpenAI or other AI-generated platforms, their whole shtick is going to be, well, let's protect you if you get sued type thing. And Mm -hmm. I also think that that's kind of like a funny way as like the most practical idea is to protect you if in the event that you get sued but it's something it's better than nothing because legislation controls regulation all that is going to take a long time and by the time they get to it they're already going to be on on something else at that point Mm
2: -hmm.
0: yeah i mean absolutely i know that OpenAI has like publicly released sort of a a shield and and it's basically that idea it's like hey we're, we've got your back if anything you generate using chat gpt or using our ai you know there's like legal issues then we're going to cover the legal issues so that's super interesting and yeah i mean where my mind goes is around using ai models that it might be like it's pretty clear-cut if someone's using someone's likeness and so they're just like it is them then it's mm-hmm. like okay <laughs> you know like you can't do that like you're clearly using it where I wonder, it might be difficult. It might kind of blur the lines when I don't know what if someone creates a model that takes the top three artists and it turns, it creates an AI avatar of Coldplay meets Ed Sheeran meets Drake into like one new artist AI like <laughs> musician, and you know then you know it'd be kind of similar to how new artists in general like human artists kind of you know usually in a lot of cases big breakthroughs or new artists come from having a baby between you know two or three different genres or two or three different styles and they create something new that also has the dna of you know their influences so it is an interesting question of where do we kind of draw the line between having influences ourselves versus drawing the line and like saying this is a clear, you know, carbon copy of another artist. What I like about what you brought up with with your service is the easy ability to add contributors and collaborators. Mm-hmm. It does seem like in this world that we're heading towards and I think this is hugely relevant to everyone that's listening to this right now is this opportunity to interact or kind of bring your fans into the fold and to be, do more co-creative things with them and you know, involve them in your music creative process, whether it means like the recording of the songs, the song ideas, the stories you're telling in the songs, the marketing for the songs, like having them in videos. But it'll be interesting moving forward to kind of fairly compensating people and different contributors and collaborators. It seems like it's really important to have a good system to do that, which is what, oh, what you, you guys think- have built.
1: Yeah. And I will say that, I mean, even the technology right now, let's say that if there's any artist out there that one of the things that we've seen in international markets is that there's an artist that makes a song and they'll give a portion of the royalty stream to like the guy that directed the music video or the graphic designer and all that jazz. And like you do have the control of effectively inviting anybody that you wish to get a percentage of your stream. So I do think that more like fan oriented models of sort of like, Hey, I have this project invest into it. Uh, Um, and you don't own the right to it, but you get a royalty stream from it and it's all, it's all up to you, you know, type thing. I think Hmm. it's very, very common. And, you know, at least you have the ability, not necessarily of doing fundraising through us at this moment, but being able to compensate and sort of set all that up in a way that is seamless. And also that that person, they don't just get royalty streams. They also do see the same analytics that you would as well. So it is pretty transparent from you to your collaborator also.
0: Hmm. Really cool. One thing that we're working on with Modern Musician right now is what we call music relics. And mm-hmm. they're basically like music NFTs that an artist can create a limited amount of for their different music assets. And then their fans can own those music assets. And they unlock different levels of access to the artist and different exclusive content their what we call their inner circle. So it might be something that we can connect more on Absolutely. in the future and maybe setting up an integration where if someone's in someone's inner circle or they get one of the limited edition relics, then that comes with, you know, a 5% royalty commission or something like that. Could be Absolutely. I mean,
1: that's totally possible. We teamed up a little bit with a couple, you know, of company or, or artists that are doing this with companies as well. And sort of we've helped facilitate that as well, which is great. Hmm.
0: Cool. Well, this has been really fun. How about we open up, the conversation to some questions from the audience. Yeah. So uh-huh. you guys are awesome. I see we have 69 people who are here live right now. So let's nice. let's actually open up the floor. So either, if you wanna actually come on here live and ask a question, then you can raise your hand by uh, clicking on the little hand icon and raising your hand. Otherwise, if you'd like to just ask a question in the chat, then you can also just type a question there and I'll go through and ans- ask some good questions. Yes, and, and just to, do, to remind everyone, so the name of the company is Symphonic Distribution.
1: Yeah, and then the website is Symphonic.com, just in case.
0: Awesome. I see Kayo requested to speak, so let's invite you on. What's going on, Kayo?
3: Hello. Yeah, I had a, a, a question that I've, I've been trying to find out from various distributors. It's about... I have a catalog distributed with CD Baby, a CD I released in you know ten years ago. And I was wondering, what what happens if we take our music down from a particular provider and say migrate it to a new provider? Is that what are the pros and cons of say taking your 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 back catalog off an old provider that is perhaps obsolete and then? Re-releasing the tunes, say packaging them up or changing the order of tracks and re-releasing—like, what do we need to consider in sort of in re-releasing old content or switching distribution providers?
1: Yeah. So first, we created a technology that helps to do that, where you could just put in a Spotify release, for example, and it does migrate all the metadata. You would just have to upload the the audio, for example. And that sort of helps to cut down on that. The, the pros and cons, I would say the con first off is depending on the genre of the music, or I would say like if it's a public domain song that you, know, you have some clearance of, or if it's a classical song, the way that Apple and primarily Apple thinks about the world is whatever their style guideline is today is what governs it, even if there's a title that's been there for 10 years not likely a problem for a lot of the folks in this audience, but we have seen that that, you know, if there's something like we actually had a, a label, that had Casey in the sunshine band. That one wasn't just automatically live. We have to go through additional steps to clear it effectively with Apple, according to their style guidelines. So those are like, that's really the main con. And the other con is if you don't do it in the right kind of like order, because there's a slight logistics to this where you want to load this on a new distributor you know, submit it and you're going to have your release duplicate for at least like five to 10 days. You want to do that so that all the playlist placements stay, all the streams get retained, and then you take it down from the previous distributor. That's of the cons, I would say. The pros is you might have a chance to clean up the metadata because if the album's been live for 10 years, for example, you might have the opportunity to tweak it if need be to improve the metadata, which might improve more discoverability and as such will increase streams, for example. Um, Marketing back catalog is usually a bit difficult with the DSPs. They don't generally do it. Uh, But I would say that that would be probably the bigger pro. So we constantly see this with like different artists that had collaborators where the way that you could submit featured artists back then was different than how you do it now. And we've seen artists be able to get a boost from that.
3: But what do you mean when you say that the DSPs don't typically uh, market or market back catalogs stuff?
1: Yeah, they don't have a, met- a method for distributors like us to effectively vouch for any back catalog. They're constantly thinking about new releases and what's coming in the future. Unfortunately, right? So mean- we're very, yeah, we're very catalog driven, but that's that's probably the bigger con. Thing
3: is for, for independent artists like us, probably a lot of us, you know, we, at least in, in my case, you know, the use case is that I released music 10 years ago. It's stuff that is, that potentially could be re-released because, you know, your back catalog for people who have not heard your old music, it's new. Yeah. Right.
1: And would, that's,
3: yeah. a, and,
1: yeah. and so if, if one, you're one able to, well, when you're re-releasing it, unfortunately, you have to stick to kind of like the original release date because then a distributor like us actually gets flagged uh, from an Apple, for example, um, because that that's kind of like a gaming of it that they want, even though I agree. One thing that I've seen though is uh, folks usually upload a brand new like remastered version of a back catalog and that then is able to effectively be considered as a new release with new ISRCs and so forth. And you can definitely market that which helps still the back
0: catalog as well. Cool, so hey Kayo, thank you so much for uh, coming on here live and asking that question, fantastic. I think a lot of us probably had a similar question about like migrating over, so thank you for that. And let's let's keep on rocking and bring on some more folks come on live. And I saw that As the Structure Fails has requested to speak, so let's give them the opportunity to come on here live. Uh, They were actually recently on the podcast. Kyle is a fantastic musician. They've accomplished some really incredible things with, with their band, so. Hey, Kyle. How are you doing? And what's uh, your question for for uh, Jorge today?
2: Hey, really good. Can you guys hear me? Yep. We've got you. Perfect. So the I just wrote it down here. The base of my question, and I'm not a master, obviously, of this area, but the base of the question is, what is the most cost-effective way to collect publishing royalties Because what I've found and from what I know is that if I'm with BMI, they are supposed to collect the royalties on my behalf and then pay me those royalties. However, on TuneCore, for example, they have this service called TuneCore Publishing. And that service will register the songs that I input into TuneCore. They'll register it for me on BMI. However, they then take a cut and I'm asking myself, is it literally that all they're doing is registering the song for me and taking a cut, or are they somehow bringing in additional royalties that just being with BMI alone you know, wouldn't get me?
1: Yeah, no, good question. So the big difference is when you go to BMI directly, it's being registered worldwide if you have that ability or that right or BMI has that on your account, for example. But the difference is, BMI is actually also collecting a percentage from each territory, for example. And it also takes significantly longer sometimes to get it through a BMI. The likes of TuneCore, who the publishing is ran by Centric, and then SongTrust, for example, what they do that's different is they're not just actually registering on a BMI, they're going to the equivalent of BMI in other territories, registering it directly there and effectively not leaving the work up for BMI or ASCAP to do that piece. So it means that you actually get international collection much faster and with less of a, of a fee when you're effectively doing it through BMI directly. But I will say that starting out with BMI directly is not a bad thing even. And if you, if you have good earnings, even from a, a streaming perspective, let's say, and you're starting to get a lot of your songs either being considered on radio or public performance and things like that, that's when I always recommend folks to really explore an expanded publishing relationship. And I think the likes of TuneCore and SongTrust are not bad at all because they will at least save you time from having to do so directly with BMI in addition to the international territories.
2: So essentially, if I didn't wanna pay that fee, I would have to just, is it just a waiting period? I would have to wait much longer to collect them or is there a possibility that they wouldn't ever get collected?
1: It's, it's a little bit of both, actually. You know, I've seen folks that do registration directly with the PROs, no disrespect to them, but they're just not as acquainted like a publishing administrator to really go deep in there and even sort of audit some of the, the PROs internationally to, as well, right? So I think if you're working with a, a TuneCore, let's say for example, I think you're actually doing an okay thing even though you're paying them because they're actually getting the the music registered in these international territories that just working more hand in hand with them because that's what truthfully a publishing admin does uh, otherwise yes most people would just go to bmi for example
0: cool yeah well, hey, no, Kyle. that thank really you. helped that. awesome Th- thank you for the question it's a good one this is some pretty some pretty high level geeky yeah. music licensing stuff real quick just to, in terms of yeah. You know, Symphonic. What do you recommend for anyone who, if they are interested in using Symphonic or they currently are using Symphonic and they're interested in you know, collecting those royalties? We, we've also had SongTrust on the podcast a few times and big fan of of them and what they're doing, but what do you recommend is like the best use case for using Symphonic if someone wants to also leverage those yeah, so
1: royalties? Actually, we have a partnership with SongTrust. Um, we kind of have a two, twofold. Um, on the publishing side, it's always been not a major core focus of ours, but I will say that that's going to start to change over the next year or two um, as we're really looking at beefing up resources and focuses there. Um, So we have a kind of an affiliate deal with SongTrust where essentially you do get onboarded onto them through us. Um, And then we have certain like specific artists that we know we work with that we actually represent from a single licensing perspective that we do the actual pub admin directly from utilizing SongTrust as well as a partner. So I would say working with Summitress directly is not bad, but definitely going through us through, from our website, you can actually sign up through there and you'll be able to be onboarded to that platform as well. Hmm.
0: Cool. Good to know. Awesome. Well, hey, Jorge, it's been great connecting with you today. And you know, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be here and to share you know, about some of the, the updates that are happening. Like at, at the time of recording this, kind of keeping our fingers on the pulse of how things are evolving with you know, AI and with music distribution, how Spotify works. Uh, and you know, thank you for you know, creating a service that you know, helps artists to get their music distributed and get it in the hands of, of their fans. Absolutely. So for anyone who's here live right now who's interested in diving deeper or learning more about Symphonic, what are the best place for them to get started?
1: Yeah, for sure. So Symphonic.com and then on Instagram, we're doing a lot of cool stuff where we're always talking about our artists as well as putting out a lot of educational material. Through our website, you can access our blog and it's just blog if you wanted to go to it, .com. But we put out a ton of educational material, a lot of resources to sort of like keep this conversation going as well. So I would highly recommend that. We're doing a lot of that and then video content on YouTube. So searching Symphonic distribution across all socials will give you all the access to that. But then the main hub being Symphonic.com.
0: All right. Fantastic. So like always, for easy access, we'll put the links in the show notes. And let's give a round of applause for Jorge for for being here today. Awesome.
1: That's a nice crowd. <laughs> no, awesome. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for all the good work you do and to the community as well. Keep on keep on crushing as they say.
0: Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guests today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That that really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.